This episode is sponsored by the Nuisance Committee. Stay tuned after the episode for a special message about the 2016 election. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Super Top Podcast. I'm Podrick, recording from Vancouver. And I'm Oshin, recording from Sarajevo. Um, we've talked a lot in the last few episodes about ways of making apps um, just as a hobby for no money. But this week, we want to bring the focus back onto Supertop and how we think about it as a business. So this will be a much more businessy podcast, I think, hopefully. Business-ish, anyhow. <laughs> we mentioned before uh, our launch day sales were lower than we'd hoped, but we haven't really followed up much more since then. And we wanted to come back to it just to, well, for a few reasons. There's a few interesting points to get through, but things are going pretty well overall. Um, we did miss our low-end target by about 20%, I think. And there were two big challenges to that. Um, the financial side of how do we keep going and also the motivational side of, well, you've just worked for two years and now you haven't hit the target you were hoping to hit. And how do you feel about that? Yeah, that was one of the things that I mentioned, I think, on, on the first episode before the launch had, had even happened, where we had this idea of how we wanted the launch to go and we were focused so much on, on that day, basically, as that as the culmination of all the development time that we had put into it. And I I remember just having this fear of like, okay, say if it's not as high or it doesn't exceed the expectations even, say that we've set up, like how are we going to feel afterwards? And is that going to make it like difficult to motivate and to keep going on it? Right. So so during the first week, you made a spreadsheet comparing the sales of Castro 2 to Castro 1, right? In that first week, what I wanted to do was show to myself like with numbers that even if the first day hadn't necessarily been the biggest day ever, that the launch was still going well and that it wasn't tailing off as, as much. And like it became clear like over the first week and over the second week as well that, I mean, sales were a lot better than they had been for Castro 1, even without the, like, the giant launch at the start. So it just wasn't tailing off quite as quick. And that was nice to, nice to see and kind of gave me a, a, lot, a lot more hope for how things might continue to go. Right, because every time someone's published their numbers, I've always noticed that there's like a huge peak at the start and then it tails off really fast. So I always imagined we had to, I always imagined that the solution to App Store success was you have to make that initial peak huge, like you have to hype up your launch and get tons and tons of sales and then that'll sustain you for six months or a year. So when we didn't hit that, when we didn't have a gigantic peak for Castro 2 at the start, I was a bit worried. But the alternative and way healthier approach for a business is to actually be making a reasonable amount of money each week. And we've managed to more or less do that. Yeah, it's really nice. <laughs> yeah, we're only, I think we're a month and a half or two months in. But I mean, it's it's going okay so far. So that's... Yeah, no, there's still, I mean, there's still a long road ahead. We still have to have a lot of work to do, but it's, I mean, it's really promising. Yeah. I guess like one idea that I had in my head, I think even before launch, which I knew that I had to try to avoid this mentality was that, okay, if Castro one made this much on launch day and made this much, made X on launch day and Y in the first year, that therefore whatever happened with launch of Castro two, that that was going to basically multiply out the same. Yeah, I, I thought the same thing. But it hasn't, it hasn't been that way so far, at least for us. Yeah, so that's good. Um, another thing that's helped me realize that it is going better is another spreadsheet I made a couple of weeks ago. Um, where we decided to pick a daily target, like just seven days a week. Here's the number of uh, app store proceeds we want to receive in order to know that things are going well. Um, the exact number doesn't really matter. It's just like a basic salary for both of us plus our costs. Yeah, that'll be different for each person depending on where they are and what their expectations are and what their situation is. But yeah, I guess the important part was to pick a number, at least for ourselves. Yeah. 
Uh, so we were able to make a spreadsheet with our total revenue in it we'd made so far because obviously there was a bit of a peak at the start. Um, so we have some money in the bank. Um, and now we can instantly see that each day that we make more than that number, X, um, we buy more time for Supertop as a business. Like that's extra money going into the savings that'll cover us for a rainy day. Um, if we make less than whatever the number is, then we're starting to chip into that money. But it, you know, it's okay to do that for a few days. Uh, so on, on any given day, we know exactly what date we would run out of money at a bunch of different threshold daily amounts. So maybe the simplest example is if we if we started earning $0 from today, we know that I think we have two or three months to fix the problem and start making money again before we'd go broke. And so it's the most ominous, the most ominously named spreadsheet document you've ever sent me. Doom clock. <laughs> Doom clock dot numbers. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, because that was kind of tongue in cheek because I was worried that when I made it, it would be too depressing and too much of a distraction. But I'm really happy with what it has done for us. Yeah, it's been the opposite to that for me, but I, I, don't, I don't want to rename it. I still like that it's called Doom Clock. I think one thing that's really good about that document for us and is really good evolution from like that first document that I had prepared, where it was that initially for the first two weeks, I was completely focused on the launch and how the launch was going and proving to ourselves that it was actually going better than it might initially have seemed. Um, but it was a very backwards-looking document in the sense of like, okay, how have things been for the past week? How have things been for the past two weeks? Um, whereas this document that you prepared, we only have like one figure that we need to update in it every once in a while when we want to see updated projections. But it's completely forward-looking, and it kind of helps frame like decisions that we need to make about development or about marketing or all that side of things. It really helps kind of keep me focused. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy about it too. And it, it means that we can look at this business and consider it as a real business, that it's not just our emotional feelings about how, like if we get three bad days of sales in a row, it's not like, ah, this isn't working out. Even though like the week before we might've made a fortune. Um, so it helps to balance out that feeling and ground it in reality a bit more. And then there's this reality of like, we're selling an app, we get $3.50 every time someone buys one. So to keep going, we need to make, we need to find a few thousand new customers or new sales every month. So that only happens by like every week having a few ideas of what we're going to do to try and make some new sales. Um, it doesn't really, unfortunately, it doesn't just happen because I feel like I deserve it. And I really do feel like I deserve it. <laughs> you definitely do. I don't know if I do, but you do for sure. <laughs> oh God, there's... <laughs> There's that privilege thing again. <laughs> One thing that I find interesting, just even psychologically, about observing how I react to that document is, I mean, so obviously we've set like our daily target of X dollars. And if we make more money than that in perpetuity, it's like, okay, we can just keep going forever. Like we'll be in literally Indies forever. Hashtag Indies forever. <laughs> and so obviously it's great on the days when it is greater than that. But it also, I, I guess the document doesn't ground me as much on days like that. It's more just like, okay, that's great. That's a good day. But it's when like it's slightly less than that. When we don't quite reach that X, I can still like see from the numbers and project forward and be like, Okay, we need to get we need to get it higher than this, but like even if it stayed at this, like we're good for like a certain amount of time. Right. Yesterday's sales numbers I updated the document this morning and it's like, okay, if we made the same as we made yesterday every day, um I think we'd be good until like January 2019 or something like that. Yeah. And like obviously a lot will happen in between then. Um like sales will change, our expectations might change, but even just to be able to look at that and be like okay, like it's, it's a good grounding to feel like 
we're, we have a platform here to keep moving forward on. It's an achievable target too. It's not like we're saying we want to make 10 million within a year. Like there's something about it that like we're close enough to it and we hit it often enough or we beat it often enough that it's like a target that was too high would be demotivating and one that was too low would be too easy. Um, so I think it's just at the right level for us now. I mean, in, you mentioned that if we made what we made yesterday every day that we get to keep going till 2019. I mean, that's that's assuming that we decide to continue to pay ourselves the same salary and our costs stay the same. Um, but I like that it puts it in our hands that like we can decide, okay, I'm totally happy doing this work still. I want to continue to do it. Um, I, I don't mind that I'm making less than I could make as a consultant. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, that is then again around like setting your own expectations and your own goals for it. Yeah. Um, you had you tweeted a couple of weeks ago about how, how happy you were with how Castro 2 was going. Like it was sustainable and that we had a great roadmap and we were both excited about it going forward. Um, and I remember somebody wrote back and asked you what the secret was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and your response was, well, it was, so it was about persistence, which is something we went into in depth with, with Jared on last week's episode. But the other thing was about like setting, like managing your expectations. Yeah, definitely. I think like that number we've picked is not high. Yeah, no, it's not a huge number, but it's one that we can keep improving on. And it's one that's, it's at a level where we're like, okay, if we can keep it at this, that's good enough for us to like keep going right now. And part of keeping going is to like improve that number as well. The one thing it has made me think of though, particularly the days where we're close to the number, but we don't hit it is like 30% that Apple takes is a lot of money. <laughs> well, when I, when I hear it as 30% or as a percentage, it, for whatever reason, that just kind of goes over my head and I don't, I don't, I don't worry about it so much, but it's when, when you check the sales figures in iTunes Connect and you see, like, this is how much you made and this is how much Apple made and that number gets higher and higher and it just starts feeling like, oh, wow, that would really have helped us out a little bit if, if it wasn't, like, quite as high. Yeah, because I think a lot of businesses, like, normal non-app store businesses go away because they're making 5% or 10% less than they needed to. So, like... Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty big percentage. Um, so I think it'd be pretty cool if Apple didn't charge the full 30% until you hit some threshold amount. Maybe like taxes, it could be slightly progressive, like that you, up until you've made 50,000, they only charge 10% or something like that. Or yeah, whatever the amount is. But I think they could do that. And I also think that that wouldn't impact their bottom line in a huge way because so much of the revenue is focused through app, like, a small number of apps. Yeah, the big revenue is coming from like the top 1% or less than 1%, I guess, of apps who are making most of the money. I think it would be a great incentive. Yeah, it would really help us and it wouldn't take away... Yeah, it wouldn't... I don't think it would hit their bottom line much. Mm -hmm. And I mean, they can figure it out, obviously. <laughs> I guess with the new subscription stuff that they introduced this summer, it's the first time that they've had a public like percentage that was less than 30%. Yeah. So it's like 15%, but you don't you reach that level basically as a bonus once you've managed to like retain a recurring subscription for more than a year, which is nice, obviously. <laughs> it's great like the longer you get to hold on to a customer, the more share of the of the revenue you start seeing. So the fact that they like have now started to experiment with different percentage amounts gives me like some hope that maybe they would like reconsider or have other ways where they might introduce this 15% in other scenarios like the one you mentioned. It would be a great way to give indie development a boost if that was a priority for them, which hopefully if you're listening Phil, please <laughs> <laughs> 
And yeah, it's not that Apple shouldn't charge anything. It's just that the 30% seems like a lot now. And I think I remember at the start, that 30% was often justified by the fact that like, oh, you're just a developer. You do the app and put it on the store and like, we'll do the marketing because the, everyone found their apps through the app store. And now like, that's not a thing. And they're even charging for us to do ads. We can get into that later, maybe. I don't know. Um, yeah, well, let's see how we're feeling by the end of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think like the first app I ever released, um, I never used to think about the 30% at all. I just never even considered it. I think I sold the app for maybe it was one ninety nine, two ninety nine, or something. Mm-hmm. Just that total figure never even, it might even just be to even down to like a change in UI. Like I think it's just like so much more obvious in iTunes Connect now what the pr- total proceeds are as compared to what your share is. Yeah. When you see that every day, it just starts like way weighing on your mind a little bit especially when we're like have this other spreadsheet going where we're like we're keeping a really close eye on how we're doing financially so you see that extra figure and you're like oh that would that would really help this spreadsheet a lot (laughs) (laughs) yeah so let's get into talking about some of the the other aspects of the business beyond the finances I kind of got a bit upset on Twitter the other day about support stuff so let's talk about how we do that (laughs) sure a beta of iOS 10.1 came out it triggered a bug in Castro 2, which meant that the app basically didn't work. Tons of people updated and Castro wouldn't work for them. So they were understandably kind of annoyed. Uh, I immediately got it fixed and submitted as fixed Apple. It took, it ended up taking a bunch of days to come out, which like just shows how quickly you adjust to things being better. Like I think it still came out within four or five days. Yeah. But these days, like that just starts to feel so low, so slow, especially when, I mean, cause you submitted it the same day, right? Like it was like a couple of hours later or something. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as it, as soon as I was able to reproduce it, it was one of those moments where I was like, I'm proud of how I've done a good job here because there was a bug and I fixed it within a few hours and got the fix out. And it was only, and it was a bug on a beta version of the operating system too. So it's like, yeah, but it was a bad bug. The app was unusable. Um, so yeah, there was that. There was definitely that feeling of like, this is a beta. You shouldn't feel entitled for all your apps to work perfectly if you're going to jump on a beta the second it comes out. Uh, we got a few grumpy emails uh, from people. We got plenty of nice emails just pointing it out too. I'm not complaining about receiving any. <laughs> it's just some of them were really quite offensive. Um, and it put me in a pretty bad headspace about it because I was so happy with, or I was like, I think we had done everything we could do, basically. Bugs will happen. The only thing you can do in response is to fix them quickly. I think there was a perfect storm there in a sense where it was like, it was a beta version of the operating system. It was a bug that you personally had gone and fixed very quickly and were happy with. And then you were the one who was checking the support as well, instead of me. All that stuff happens at once. It's like, it's a bit of a whirlwind. Yeah, we've we've talked just roughly about how we should handle support in the past, and I think that week happening has just solidified it for me that I want to have a list of rules that I follow for each support email. Well, because it takes up a surprising amount of time, so it's like like we do want to offer a level of support. We don't want to ignore everybody, but we also need to like be able to manage it in a reasonable way whereby our product doesn't suffer because we're spending all our time doing support, for example. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And even with two of us, it's still a colossal amount. Of, if we were to make sure we answer every email within one day, there wouldn't be time to fix the bugs they're reporting. So, Anyhow, you came up with a pretty good approach. Basically, the first thing that involved is like breaking down like how we would classify each email. Like, is it a feature request or a bug report or like a more general, I guess, support request where somebody doesn't know how to do something? Yeah, so I was thinking, so feature requests, we read them, they enter our subconscious and they usually don't get replies. Do you think 
most features that people ask for are things that we've never thought of that are great new ideas or do you think it's more just a waiting of every once in a while we get an email that's something that we like haven't thought of and we, we do usually send those straight on to each other it's like yeah that's rare and it's usually pretty interesting and they probably get like they get extra attention because we're so surprised that we hadn't thought of it before <laughs> mm -hmm. but for the most part i mean we spent two years before we even launched castro and we worked on a podcast app before then and we're immersed in it every day and like most of these ideas have occurred to us <laughs> yeah no and we have a roadmap i mean we know where we want to take it we know what the next steps are like and that's a big part of our marketing now i think instead of just gradually releasing features as you know as we get them done and leaking them out um, and small updates we're trying to group them together so that every month or six weeks we have like an interesting release to do yeah um so we have that all planned like it it changes but we pretty much know what we want to work on for like the next six months i think i still want to like i still find it really good to like read the feature requests even if it's stuff that we have heard before i mean it's some sort of like internal radar just like keeps going and I think sometimes it gets recalibrated. Um, like we had a lot of requests about CarPlay stuff. Yeah, and we have a blind spot there because I, I don't drive much. I take the bus. Um, you don't drive at all. Yeah. So we really, like, that's not part of our day-to-day -day experience. So. But we had heard that like so often that I think we picked up on that and ended up like moving that like a lot further closer in our roadmap than we had planned. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, they, they are good, but... We don't reply to all of them. I remember in Castro 1, I used to reply to people and discuss their ideas and tell them like our whole th thought process of how we wanted to do that, but this was in the way. And you spend an hour doing it, like one reply. <laughs> so bugs, bugs are another category of thing we get. So for bugs, we try to recreate them, make sure that they're bugs that we can, like we see ourselves and then put them in our bug tracker and we fix them. Um, we'll usually reply if we need more information. Mm -hmm. um, or like we we need you to tell us a bit more about what you were doing. But if if it's a known issue, we just close it. Like we're already working on it. We don't have anything to report until it's fixed. So the thing to do is report a bug and then watch for release notes. That is how it's going to work, I think. Yeah, it's the way it's going to have to be. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then there's like basically people who want to know how do I do X. And I, I, those are the ones that I really want to answer. Um, but it's also the ones where I feel like there's, we're missing something else when we get those in the sense that like we like that's what reminds me that oh we really should have maybe for popular like questions we should have like help pages on our site or something like that we did one video what was the video for it was a video to show oh yeah how you could set up automatically q and episodes when they come out and so yeah now like i can i point people towards that video but it's like the only it's the one video on our website um Getting those emails is a good reminder, like especially if we get three or four. And sometimes they come in the form of feature requests. And that's that's the most upsetting thing is like, oh, it'd be cool if you guys could do this. And it's like, we do it. We spent six months building it. <laughs> so that's that's when I really want to go and make a support page. So yeah, we've been a bit behind on that stuff. Um, those ones, yeah, so as you said, we answer those when we have time. And mainly they feed into making us feel guilty about not having better support pages and hopefully eventually making them. And then there's like, I think this time around, my attitude towards people who are aggressive or rude has changed a lot. Like I used to, in my mind, have this customer service experience idea where if someone was really angry, then we'd really help them and turn them back around. And then and then we'd have converted like a loyal fan for life. I mean, th that kind of works, I think, but it's so draining and so time consuming. Like it just, and like when it doesn't go well, it puts you in a bad mood for the whole day, so... Yeah, but there's a level where it's just even like if somebody's cursing at us or, yeah, what the hell this? I sound like Father Ted now. 
<laughs> I read a bit of one of them once. God, I couldn't finish it. The language. Unbelievable. It's, it's a bit gritty, but that's the modern world, Mrs. Doyle. Well, it was a bit much for me, Father. Feck this and feck that. <laughs> yes, Mrs. Doyle. You big bastard. Oh, dreadful language. Um, so those people, we just mark them as spam now. We never see their emails again. So that's the only way that we won't see your email, is if you curse at us. Yeah, if you're... They're usually like one-liners of like... You big hairy arse, you big fecker, fierce stuff. Anyway, it's part of the job. It makes me think of... I was on the bus yesterday and there was, I saw a sign saying like something like any threats to the driver will not be tolerated and then it cited some bylaw about why that's illegal. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> we should put a sign like that in the app. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like at the airport, if you start being rude to the security people, you don't get to fly anywhere. And so part of that is just they get so much bullshit from people um, and it's just to protect them. Like, not even just physically, but like, if all day long people are swearing at you, it will really grind you down, so. Yeah, well, it's employee protection as well. I mean, like, their, their employers have a responsibility to protect their employees. You and I just need to protect each other. <laughs> it is good for us to do our own support, though. Like, I think I tweeted something about being upset about those replies. It started a thread of people talking about whether you should outsource support or whether you should do it yourself. And for us, it's not really an option because we don't have the budget. But even if it was... Yeah, I think it really helps us to like keep our fingers on the pulse of what's going on. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even as we said, we can't respond to everything. But like feature requests in their volume can have an effect on our priorities. For bugs, it's really important. And yeah. I mean, the most of the emails that we ever do respond to and follow up on is when we need extra information about bugs. And there's some of the best conversations that we have in the end because it's like it's a back and forward and... People are usually very forthcoming and helpful. Yeah, definitely. And after we release a new version, I always like to, like, I'll keep very close eye on support for 24 hours. People will tell us if there's, if we've really messed up and they'll tell us very quickly. So that's, it is, it's really useful. It is one of the most emotionally challenging parts of the job, but it's also really useful to get, like, to have engaged users who will send you a bug report rather than just deleting your app. So... So I started a course. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I'll start here. <laughs> I started a course in... What are you learning? I'm learning about uh, audio manipulation using computers. I'm, I'm only two weeks into it, but it's pretty interesting just getting some of the theory level stuff about how audio is stored and processed. Like, there's a long chain of reasons why I started doing this. But overall, it got me thinking that it's so fascinating how we're competing with other developers who are all over the world. Like uh, Russell's in Australia, Marco's in New York State, uh, Downcast guy, Seth, I think his name is. I looked it up. <laughs> North Carolina, I think. Yeah, North Carolina. Uh, Instacast is back on the store. Don't download it. Use Castro. Um, <laughs> no, do download it. It's free. It's free. <laughs> Um, that, that guy, Martin Herring, is in Germany. Uh, so these guys are all over the world. And most businesses that have one or two people working at them don't compete globally. Hmm. So it's kind of fascinating that that's the world now where, like, if me and you had a business 50 years ago, like, what would we be doing? A corner store or something? That would be fun. Maybe we could do that in 50 years as well. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. It means that, like, if you are the best app, that's a pretty cool achievement. Like, best app on earth for iOS. <laughs> Um, it's not just like, oh, those guys make a good sandwich <laughs> in Vancouver. I remember before we released Castro One, just having this idea that like one of our goals was that we wanted it to be considered like in like in the handful of like of popular apps on the app store. Yeah, and that wasn't just like a commercial thing. It was like 
I think it was because there's like a global reach to that that it ends up like feeling cool or like something that you want to achieve. Yeah. It's also not a huge market by in terms of like businesses and companies that really have a lot of money or care. So I think that that makes it so that major players aren't that interested. Like I I feel pretty safe estimating that if you add together the revenue of every third party app it's still less than it's well under a million, probably under half a million. Yeah, yeah. So like Google doesn't care. None of these people who have like colossal amounts of money to just fling around on any opportunity should care about the third party iOS podcast app market. So it's a lot of relatively small competitors all fighting for as you know, smallish price, but it'll be totally we'll be totally happy with if we're able to be the best one. Who do we consider to be like our competitors? Like, because there is other like bigger apps, like say Stitcher, for example, but we would never necessarily think of them as our competition, at least not directly, right? Well, the thing we look at most is the top grossing charts in the news category. And in there, we find Pocket Casts, Downcasts, Podcruncher, Overcasts, and um, Castro. And maybe, yeah, I think that's it. I think Eyecatcher might be in there sometimes too. I'm not, not trying to leave anyone out if I am. I'm sorry. Um, so it's definitely companies making money through the App Store, whereas Stitcher is owned by Midroll now, and it's, I guess, part of their analytics operation of getting information of people who are listening podcasts so that they can play ads to them. Mm. So maybe that is a narrow view of who our competitors are, but it's, defi- it's definitely what we do. Yeah, it's interesting. I find more and more like I just keep thinking of Overcast and Pocketcast as our competitors. Sometimes I'm not just thinking maybe just because we know them and we speak to them on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, it's probably dangerous to get hung up on the people you know and who interact with you. Yeah. Like Podcruncher, I've never, I don't even know the name of the people or person who makes that. So I, do, so I never worry about Podcruncher because I don't think about it. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's up there all the time as well. Yeah, so there's definitely, uh, we have a maybe a, inaccurate view of our competitors i guess um so i think the level of competition on the app store has pushed us into doing new things and learning new things the initial view i had doing castro one that person i don't think would have ever ventured into learning these things just by himself like so now i'm trying to learn audio stuff in depth partially because we need to have some kind of smart speed feature at some point in the future silence removal yes (laughs) yeah (laughs) tm and so i Start, I decided, okay, I'm going to do that and I'm not just going to do it. I'm going to like really figure it out in detail and not just try to hack it together. Because uh, actually I did try to hack it together and I failed. So now I'm trying to do it properly. Um, <laughs> and so, and now it's like, it's opened up this whole new avenue of like, okay, now I'm kind of excited about how audio processing works and I'm learning a bunch of math stuff that I didn't know. Um, like it's, it feels good. Like I'm learning something and it's nice that that's all just come out of competition as a concept. I don't know if you'd be the same, but normally I'd have a really suspicious view of people who get really excited about capitalism and competition. <laughs> yeah, talk about how like the transit service or health service needs more competition, then it'll be better. Oh, no. Like, it kind of puts you in a certain camp or something, if that's how you view the world, oh. and it's not the one I'm in. <laughs> it's maybe not so shocking to say, wow, competition has made us have to do things we weren't going to do. But it's it's just interesting to see it in action in a way that it it is working the way it's supposed to work like our customers are going to get a better app because other apps are trying to compete with us like even just in terms of like the whole rationale for castro 2 being so different than one like a lot of that came down to like us looking at what the other apps were doing and looking at the use cases that other apps were managing to handle that we hadn't quite managed yet with Castro One. Yeah. And realizing that, like, okay, we needed our answer for that. And then it pushed us somewhere different, like with the inbox and the queue. Like, it, it 
pushed us into a different area than I think we would have ever gone without there being like all these other like apps that are good and great in their own ways out there and us trying to figure out like what's our take on this. And it's also good in a way that like if we do manage to have all of these things, like anyone who wants to compete with Castro then has a pretty scary roadmap ahead of them that they have to match to. Well, we see it as a problem or like a challenge that we have to support so many iOS features and platforms like iPad, TV, watch, share extensions today, widgets, spotlight search, 3D touch, having a server, doing sync. They're all like, that all adds up. I've probably just described like three years of work there. <laughs> and these are all like, okay, not every app has all of those things, but I mean, there are also things that when we have them done and if we have them done well, that's like, we're making it harder for someone else to come in and take over. Our iMessage app is another example there of something that I'm really happy with in terms of like extending out the scope of what the app is. And yeah, and no one else has done it too, as far as I know. So it's that was really nice as like a, we're not just extending out to support more iOS features, but we're also starting to get ahead of competitors there too. I guess the other point though about that list is that we haven't done all this stuff on that list yet. Like that's kind of shaping our roadmap for the future. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was not our roadmap that I just read out, by the way. <laughs> no. <laughs> TV app. Um, we're not going to do smart speed. We're going to do an Apple TV app. <laughs> so yeah, and you can, like we were able to launch our app, obviously, and it has you know enough features that lots of people like it. So it's not like you have to have all of those for day one, but I think as it goes on, there are only going to be more of these things too. Yeah, no, it's growing all the time. And so like as we start building in like these features, some of which are... Like our iMessage app is just something that we were like completely excited about ourselves and other stuff where it's more maybe potentially like a response to what's out there and what's like the base level being set that we also have to match. Like one thing that's interesting about that, I think, is that ultimately as like indie apps build up and each of them like gets more and more full featured, that there's like a greater selection of these apps there for users. And like maybe the, the pie that we're talking about dividing up also gets bigger in a sense like as each of the apps gets bigger and better that we're not just like fighting against pocketcast and overcast to like get our share of that pie that like even together all of us together can be like making that slice bigger you think like by taking users away from podcasts app apple's one or from services like stitcher it's not just about us trying to convince somebody that they should like use a third-party app like Marco is is also doing his part for that and Russell is doing that and like each of our apps like is getting bigger and more powerful and each of us is doing our part of like convincing users that it's worth like switching from a from the built-in app so like maybe each of us we can all like benefit from users who do do that yeah it'd be fascinating to know where users where new users come from like what their previous app was if they had one you mentioned ads earlier be fascinated to see if users come from ads <laughs> yeah so apple launched the app store ads feature this week i think they're out now aren't they they're only in the u.s yeah which is like i like that they're only in the u.s because i'm up in i'm in canada but yeah i mean i'm pretty annoyed by them in general i think because like even if we say it's fair enough for apple to decide they're going to put ads in one of their most important apps um, which you could argue, but there wouldn't be much point. Um, and even if you ignored that, it's like making search even worse because it takes up half the screen with the ad. And it does look a lot like it says ad in a tiny, tiny little box. And it's got this weird shade of blue. So that's supposed to be enough to tell you it's an ad. But yeah, so don't even want to fight those battles. The thing that really kills me about it is that you can, like we could go and buy overcast as a keyword. So somebody goes and 
opens their iPhone and searches the App Store for Overcast after their friend has recommended it to them. And then we're going to have an ad there that says Castro. That seems so dishonest to me that like we're never going to do that ad, but it seems terrible that they're that's encouraged that like we're supposed to get in the way of like try to come between someone who has between a user who knows what they want and a developer who's offering that product. Yeah. I mean, I'm interested enough in ads to like to give it a shot and I want like to see like if we can see any kind of return on it. But like I like the idea of seeing like if we can can we get some extra exposure for like in generic searches like podcast app and stuff like that. Are we going to be able to afford to get the exposure with an ad on a generic search like that or not? But the idea of placing an ad against Overcast or Pocket Casts just it just seems like such a slippery slope. And I just like imagine a future for the App Store where like every app has to essentially pay just to show up as the search result for its own name. I mean, I'm not saying that I think I can necessarily stop that from happening, but I don't want to be part of making it happen. Even if we didn't have any ethical concerns about it, I don't think that we can afford to pay enough to be getting, like, for it to work out financially for us. I'm happy enough to try out the $100 they'll give us for free, but I don't expect it to do too much for us. The one the one place I am potentially a little bit excited is that for the generic terms like podcast and podcasts, um, I feel in my heart that Castro should be a lot higher than it is in that. <laughs> like, I think we're over 100 and there are like apps that have nothing to do with podcasts that appear before us for those keywords. Um, so maybe this is a way that we can spend a little bit and occasionally come up as the top result for the word podcast or podcasts, plural. It'll be interesting to see how much you end up having to pay and whether that's an amount that makes sense for us or not. Yeah. Alan Pike wrote that blog post about like how he thinks like this could benefit more expensive apps or like it could be better for subscription based apps or like if your lifetime revenue from a user is higher then that gives you the freedom to like pay more for an ad to get the user in the first place. Mm -hmm. Like on Google or on Facebook it doesn't make sense for us to pay for ads for Castro for for a once off $5 payment. I guess I still have this like hopeless optimism, I think that maybe the app store will be slightly different, at least maybe even just for a while. I guess the question is how much they've said that they're going to put some emphasis on relevance. Like us paying 10 cents for podcast is going to come up ahead of like a random app that has nothing to do with podcasts paying 10 cents. But I just wonder to what degree they'll apply that criteria. Hmm. Like like will they take our bid for less money? over another one that's a little bit less relevant or yeah how will that all shake out because what i mean what i think will happen is there are a bunch of vcs involved in podcasting now because there's an expectation it's going to grow hugely hmm. and they'll just have money to spend on this like they'll be spending ten thousand dollars a month paying for that keyword and like one of those apps will be at the top of that list every time someone searches for a podcast and so it would matter more to me if search had been good before and search was a major source of new customers for us, but I don't feel like it has been. No, I don't think it has been at all. So I guess we don't have much to lose on that front. <laughs> but that's why it gets under my skin that someone could buy our, like buy the name of our app. Yeah. If there's anywhere where search works for us, it's at least if you search for the name of our app, you'll find it. Um, and I guess you still will, but like JD, after being an ad there, just... Yeah, crosses me out a little bit. And another layer of it is the only way anyone can install an app is by finding it on the app store like there's no we can't distribute some other way like this is the canonical only way to do it so like i think there's a bigger responsibility to be a bigger responsibility that apple has to keep that relatively under control anyway we'll see i guess yeah it's happening it's not like tim cook's gonna listen to this and be like what i mean we've so we've tried to figure out based on like the app store analytics that we have from itunes connect like how much can we reasonably afford to pay for like each tap 
I guess what I just the thing is that either we will see some like new revenue from this or like Apple's free $100 that they gave us is just going to sit in our account forever because they're not even going to show our ad enough times. <laughs> <laughs> so now I, I have like one new set of analytics to look at tomorrow morning. <laughs> if the feature takes off, then this won't matter at all. But like everyone should go and use their $100, right? And everyone's going to do it this week or next week. Mm-hmm. And so maybe in like... I don't really want to wait, but maybe in like three weeks or a month is a good time to do it because all of that initial free money will be gone and it'll just be real ads you'll be up against. Like any conclusions we draw this week, I'm not really going to trust that much. Yeah, but I'm more just curious. And I mean, I think I'm happy to invest $100 in it in a few weeks if we did decide we're still curious. It's kind of interesting to think about the way that whole advertising thing works, that it's like instead of us getting 350 per user, now we get, imagine we get 250 per user because we're spending that dollar on getting the user in the first place. So it's like a way to sell your app more cheaply, but the person who benefits from that isn't the customer. It's like the advertising company. Mind blown. (laughs) Yeah, whoa. (laughs) Okay, I think that about covers it for this week. We'll be back in two more weeks for the next episode of the Super Top Podcast. I'm on Twitter. My name is at Podrig, P-A-D-R-A-I-G. And I'm Prendio2. That's P-R-E-N-D-I-O-2. Okay, bye. Ciao. You should review us on the App Store. I mean, fuck, the Podcast Store. What's the Podcast Store called? (laughs) (laughs) The iTunes. iTunes. Okay, yeah. Yeah, please review our podcast on iTunes. I think we have zero reviews, so you could really help us out here. You could be the first. You can definitely be the first. (laughs) Um, Okay, we're done. What's going on inside Donald Trump's head? Do you think he's ever scared or wonders if he's wrong? In public, he calls people names. He's a germaphobe and he doesn't like to be touched. Trump spreads conspiracy theories and makes wild accusations. He says that Ted Cruz's father helped assassinate JFK. He says that Obama is a traitor who wants Muslims to attack the United States, and that Hillary Clinton might have committed murder. He thinks climate change is a conspiracy created by the Chinese government. Do you think he believes those things? He used money from his charity to buy a six-foot painting of himself. He lied to the press about helping to clear rubble after 9-11. In interviews, Trump has said he's too busy to read books. He seems to not know how to use a computer or type on a keyboard. Donald Trump doesn't know what's in the United States Constitution. When a member of Congress asked him about Article I, which defines congressional powers, he said, I'm going to abide by the Constitution, whether it's number one, number two, number 12, number nine. The Constitution has seven articles. This November, the American people will elect a sane and reasonable president who understands the basic facts about our democracy. And that won't be Donald Trump. The Nuisance Committee is responsible for the content of this advertising.